Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Shannon Fleming. And I'm Mike Cordes. And welcome to the R4 Summit, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. On this episode, we welcome back to the guest co-pilot's chair, the professor, Ray Permy. Ray P., good to have you back. Good to be back, guys. Good to be back. All right. Also joining us once again is super listener Sam George. Sam, long time no see, man. Yeah, the listeners are getting tired of my ass, man. Uh-uh. But, uh, that's cool. Thanks. So this is the fourth episode in an ongoing album series in which we review an artist's album catalog in the order they were released, complete with theme music composed and performed by Matt Fleming. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Bonnie. This series is called Opening the Doors, as we are reviewing the six studio albums The Doors recorded with Jim Morrison as lead vocalist. And as this is the fourth episode in the series, that means we'll be reviewing The Doors' fourth record, the 1969 album The Soft Parade. So, Ray, tell the listeners how you discovered The Doors in this particular album. I became a Doors fan in junior high school. I picked up their greatest hits album with Morrison's face superimposed over a cream background, and it had a red askew square over it. It was released in 1980, in October. I picked it up at the end of the summer along with the Rolling Stones tattoo you, so it was the year after. Um, I was deep into Sabbath, Heaven, and Hell, Blue Oyster Colts, A Fire of Unknown Origin, Blizzard of Oz, Women and Children First, Highway to Hell, and Back in Black. The doors were something familiar but totally different. Uh, I'd heard Light My Fire, Riders on the Storm had touched me, but not much else. Uh, And then the end got featured in Apocalypse Now. See, I'm old because I remember when all this was released, (laughs) (laughs) along with Satisfaction, which I thought that's what initially turned me on to the Stones as well. But that's a totally different story. And then that Orange and Yellow book was released. No one here gets out alive. That book may as well have been issued to every suburban teenager in Ohio back then along with a copy of Frampton Comes Alive and Kisses Rock and Roll All Night, the single. Everyone, and I mean everyone in my junior high school, read that book. In fact, this was the book that got me into rock biographies as a genre. As a student only dedicated to art and drawing at the time, scholastically I was a late bloomer, this was the book to read if you were a moody, long-haired kid in northeastern Ohio. I had that, also had that Rolling Stone magazine, the He's Hot, He's Sexy, He's Dead, I bought that one from 7-Eleven. <laughs> I can remember reading it in 10th grade in study hall. The greatest hits of the book caused me to slowly get into their albums. I purposely went, set out to get each one of them in sequence as they were released because that's the kind of geek that I am. And by the time I got to the soft parade, it was a jolt to say the least. As a 14, 15-year-old into music at one of the high watermark music periods in the 80s, It didn't make much sense and immediately became the least favorite of their studio albums from mine. That's how I got into the doors into this album. (laughs) All right. Sam, give a quick recap of your Doors story and how you came to this album. Um, Dad had albums. It was one of his favorite bands. He was playing a lot. I got used to hearing all the songs and uh, just kind of part of the soundtrack. And uh, I I loved them all the way. And I I think I'm going to disagree with... The professor a couple times in here, and now I'm nervous. I'm all anxious about this. (laughs) But that's cool, man. That's awesome. Shannon, quick recap. Well, I I know the doors out of the womb. Our father was a massive fan. It was his favorite band, besides the Stones, I think. 
and whatever else, because they had a massive record collection. The Soft Parade, I remember the most, Touch Me. And he had it blaring through the house. But it's an interesting album because it's it, there's little else that I remember from it, except that song. He loved that song. And everybody loved that song. So it's, it's great. I, I, I do like this album very much. That's my quick recap. All right. Mike, how'd you come to it? My dad as well. Um, my dad just, he got me into everything. He got me into The Doors and Alice Cooper and Jimi Hendrix. And he would always, anytime we were in the car and he, The Doors would come on, he would pretend he was Ray Manzarek and he's playing keyboards on the dashboard. That's cool. Driving around in his truck. <laughs> That's um, cool. Yeah, it's just, and you know, so I got into The Doors. And then, of course, as I was coming of age is when the biopic came out with Val Kilmer. So that kind of exposed me. I got that same... Uh, Doors Greatest Hits that everybody had, the two-disc set. Yep. Um, and then I, I picked up a few on vinyl over the years. But as far as the Soft Parade, the first listen time that I've ever sat down and listened to this album start to finish was prepping for this. All so right. this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm new to this one. So as I've said before in previous episodes, like Shannon said, our dad was our path to the Doors. He had all of their records. And I remember seeing the Soft Parade album cover in his stack. But unlike you, Shannon, I don't remember hearing the music at all. I really didn't think this album was a favorite of his. How could you not remember him playing that? I mean, I could be mistaken. My memory might be faulty. Yeah, because he played that song. Maybe he would switch between records on the big console. I don't remember that, but I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. You know, my brain's fuzzy. Well, mine can be too, which is interesting, but I just remember the doors always playing loudly. So who knows? Because it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. Uh, in the 80s, I fell out with the doors, but in the 90s, when the doors movie came out, we all have this connection there. I broke right back through to the other side with the doors, and I've never looked back. Me Monster too. Doors fan. And the doors was dad's favorite band. He, they were number one, Shannon. Yeah, they Absolutely. were number one. Oh, they were over the stones. Yeah. Oh, yes, but I'm, I'm saying is that he always appreciated what came after that, but it was always the doors. Yeah. Always, always. So here are some basic facts about this record. And if you're not using Wikipedia, where do you get your facts from? The Soft Parade is the fourth studio album by American rock band The Doors, released on July 18, 1969 by Elektra Records. It was produced by Paul A. Rothschild and was recorded from 1968 to 1969 at Electra Sound West, West Hollywood, California. It reached number six on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. Now I'll give you the band's lineup card. We've got Jim Morrison on lead vocals, Ray Manzarek on keyboards, Robbie Krieger on guitar and vocals, and John Densmore on drums. There are other musicians which we'll mention as we see fit. Okay, let's open the doors once again and do a track-by-track analysis of this album. We open the proceedings with Tell All the People, written by Robbie Krieger. Tell all the people that you see Follow me Follow me down Tell all the people that you see Set them free Follow me down You tell them they don't have to run We're gonna pick up Professor, what do you think? The horns? The horns? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Huh>? oh. <laughs> and 
Jim Morrison singing like Robert Goulet? <laughs> hey. Well, that's what it sounds like to me. This song, my parents weren't cool. My parents didn't turn me on to the doors. My parents turned me on to Mitch Mitchell and the sing-alongs and polka music. But this song sounds like something my parents would listen to. That's what the 14-year-old Ray's reaction to the song was. The Ray is a 50-year-old something. Teenager's reaction is a little bit different, but not much better. Knowing that at the time of this, the recording that they had exhausted Morrison's pre-Doors notebook and Jim didn't exactly cope well with being a rock star in a professional band, I knew that they were kind of slight on, on any kind of material to record. Uh, I always chuckle when I hear how Paul Rothschild called Riders of the Storm lounge music, and yet I suspect that he pushed them into this one with the horn section. Honestly, the song... With the inclusion of them in a general way, it's very reminiscent of a contemporary hit for them. I'm sure you'll all remember that AM radio smash "Spinning Wheel" by Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Oh. That's, what, that's yeah. what this song reminds me of. And I know that that song peaked at number two when the Soft, the Soft Parade album was released. So you know it was climbing the charts. And Rothschild probably thought these guys aren't going to make it around much longer. Let's see if we can get a good hit out of them and uh, get some more money before this guy kills himself. And they were young, so they listened to him. So, And by all accounts, from everything I've read, Morrison was showing up late, drunk or high, completely detached from the recording process. At the time, he said he wanted to be a poet, and he didn't want anything to do with the Doors anymore. Uh, but anyway, no. so going back to that, this is a Krieger composition, and it is rumored to be the first one that Jim insisted on having separate writing credits. Because he didn't yeah. like the line about the gun. To his credit, though, Morrison, uh, who was voted best male singer in some teen music magazine, delivers a pretty good performance for a guy who was untrained as a vocalist. He had a rich voice. But what an well, odd choice. What, what an odd choice for, a, for the track sequencing to have this one lead the album off. It's quite different from The Lizard King. It's too bad every, I, every time I hear this song, I look over my shoulder for my parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's got one line one verse that i just cannot stand uh follow me across the sea where milky babies seem to be molded flowing reverently with the one that set me free god puke <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a nice solo by robbie and uh i always wondered what the hell are they supposed to be telling all those people anyway is this some sort of age of aquarius redemption bullshit probably yeah why not yeah, it just that's what it seems like. It seems like the fifth dimension and blood, sweat, and tears, and hey, let's make the doors that way. So this is not an impressed song by me. Sam. Well I uh Sam I you love it. With, <laughs> I agree mostly with uh the professor here, but I I like the song. I I don't I don't mind I I think it's from the point of view. Because you were 14 and Doors was one of your bands, and then they come out, it's like it's like the, it's like Metallica's load. You know, it comes out like, what the fuck is this? Or even the Black Album, like like I did. It's like, what the fuck is I don't, this is not my Metallica. This, and you were maybe like, this is not my Doors. And, uh, but I kind of dig the song. I, I don't, I don't mind. I think it's a, the, the wrong song for the opener. And uh, I think we agree there, but, um, I like how the song builds. I like Morrison's voice after, you know, he starts lower and then uh, later in the song he, he uses the higher register. And uh, I like how the song builds. And at the end of the song, it's a, it's a little groove going. And I, I, I dig it. Shannon, what do you think? I, I You know, I, I agree with both 
of the former comments in in many respects. Um, you know, it it just seems like it, to me it, it is a downer coming into it. It has like the heavy keyboards and it feels so preachy, but it's like in slow motion. It's like you you can't even get enough like oomph to like raise up the congregation around you. Cause I think ultimately that's what they're trying to do here. It's boring. It's almost happy, but it's depressing at the same time and not bittersweet. It's mellow, which I'm fine with because I like mellow doors provided it sounds like the doors to me. Um, but Morrison's pleas at the end are so like just deflated. It's, it's just, it's so unconvincing and it just didn't do it for me. It's not a great opener to me. But I can appreciate what Sam said in terms of like, you know, you have to listen to it and get into it a little bit more. But for me, knowing the doors as well as I do, it just didn't do it for me. Rock and Mike, what do you say? I'm going to agree with Shannon and the professor. I Like I said, I hadn't heard – sorry, Sam. I, I hadn't heard this all the way through when I put this CD in. This came on, and I actually took the CD out of the back out of the CD player to make sure that I had gotten the <laughs> Do right I got the CD. Right CD? <laughs> and I'm like, "What the fuck? Like, really? Like, I'm like, man, I'm gonna like crap all over their doors episodes because <laughs> I, like I can't. I it's not a bad song, but it's to me, it's not the doors. Yes, um, the horns, orchestration. And then I had to I had to look up the release date, and I'm like, this came out in the summer of love. No, that was 67. No, was 67. Oh, oh, oh I, I was thinking yeah, 69 was, like, was yeah. love. Okay, yeah. so yeah. like the summer of 69, like the summer of 69. Yeah, it came out in the summer of 69. <laughs> no, that's I didn't even tell that. But the Ryan, um, Ryan or Brian, which one? Oh, Brian, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Brian. But I was just I was flabbergasted when I heard it. It just it completely hit me sideways. Not a bad bass line, and Robbie Krieger does deliver some sweet lead work, but he always delivers sweet lead work that you can't really, you know, go without it. Um, but I do like my doors dark. Um, I don't mind the swells of the keys and the strings, but it's just, it's not the doors. So right off the rip, I have to call this Mike's Unimpressed Fluffy Fuckery. So immediately we find out that this isn't your typical Doors album. There's a brass section orchestrated by Paul Harris, immediately very prominent in the arrangement. It just sounds weird. The horns kind of take over in my ears, and I have to concentrate to pick out Robbie's guitar, which has me scratching my head. I should not have to do that. This wouldn't matter if it was a strong tune the horns were adorning, but I gotta say, compared to the prior Break On Through, Strange Days, and Hello I Love You as album opening cuts, this is far inferior. It's kind of bland, like you were saying, Shin. The energy feels lacking, and Jim was clearly not feeling these lyrics penned by Robbie. Famously, he hated this song, particularly for the line, Can't You See Me Growing? Get Your Guns. As a result, there are individual writing credits on this record, as opposed to By the Doors, as was always the case before. The lyrics seem to be about a leader of some sort, perhaps even a messianic figure who implores the people to follow him across the sea to the sands with a milky baby seemed to be, you know, Jim Moses. <laughs> Ray Manzarek's keyboards are also somewhat muted, especially when the horns appear. And there's bass guitar provided by Harvey Brooks, a well-known, well-respected and well-traveled cat who did session work with everyone from Bob Dylan to Miles Davis. I was hoping that the brass was hiding the greatness of this track, but I listened to it even without the horns, and nope, still not up to snuff. Even Robbie's solo to me, as the track winds down, feels a little off. I don't despise this song. It's not the worst for me. I just think it's okay, 
and a very odd album opener, like we've been all saying. All right, yeah. This is the album's third single that reached number 57 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The next track is Touch Me, written by Robbie Krieger. Come on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Can't you see that I am not afraid? What was that promise that you made? Why won't you tell me what she said? What was that promise that you made? Ray, what do you say about this one? I like this one. Uh, it's definitely the most well-known track off the album. First track I ever heard off of it being on the greatest hits. Uh, I love the pumping building start and the Jim's yeah, and then his come on, come on, come on now. I found out through reading about this that it was originally supposed to be titled Hit Me based on uh, Robbie Krieger's fights he had with his girlfriend. But uh, Jim said he insisted that it be changed to Touch Me. This is a good... For a strange reason, this is a good driving fast song. Uh, good for making hairpin turns at breakneck speed kind of song. Let that be a reminder to you all, don't hop in the car or truck with me if I'm driving, especially <laughs> if you're easily scared. Um, the sax solo in this song couldn't be more fitting. Densmore is a beast on this album, especially on this track. I don't know how many, mm-hmm. I, I wonder how many uh, cymbals he cracked recording the ending of this song. Oh, yeah. Um, I know I'm not the only one who also wants to know what the promise was or what she said. I don't know. That's just Jim being Jim. Um, This is a song where Rothschild's idea to add horns really works. This is The Doors. And I love the end. Stronger than dirt. Because I remember that Ajax commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? I was I alive when this came out. <laughs> I was alive. My mother was watching General Hospital or God knows what. I remember that commercial. But um, I don't understand why this one wasn't the album's leadoff track. But I'll leave it at that. Sam, what do you say? I, I agree with, with a professor. I've always really liked the song since, you know, Dad had it blaring. Like uh, Shannon said earlier, in, a, in our house, Dad was a Doors fan, too, and I think it's a great song. I love the saxo, like uh, Ray said. And but uh, this is a new reference. When I heard it this time, going back when uh, it started doing that, I, re- I thought of Jack Black in School of Rock when he's <laughs> teaching the Asian kid how to play. Uh, <laughs> he's like slams the sheet music in front of him. Say, play this. No, and they start playing freaking <laughs> touch me. And uh, and he goes, come on, come on. And he goes, flicker flicker and does all that shit. Man, I love Jack Black, by the way. So I thought that was pretty cool by the song but everything else i agree with with a professor there <laughs> so shan what do you think of this i love this song um i absolutely love it and it's so surprising to me that you don't really remember it because i do and it was loud <laughs> it's the the first of the two songs that i love the most on this album and i'm sure they're pretty pretty you know easy to pick out um what i do find interesting was definitely the introduction of the horns and then the string section which is also like another phenomenal add to it and it it blends so well together and jim does sound finely on fire so i i tend to think like the professor does that this should have been the actual first song on the album it shouldn't have been the former 
And it, for whatever reason, it didn't. But this song, it, it's fantastic. And we do. We get it stuck in our heads. It's great. Rock and Mike. Okay, so this is the only song I knew off this album. And in terms of my exposure to this song, it was in terms of Adore's greatest hits. So this was always kind of a lesser, while I like the song, this was a lesser Doors tune for me because of the strings and the horns. The only thing is, is that I did on the 50th anniversary version, there is a version of the Doors doing this without, they, it's Doors only. They took all the orchestration. They took all the strings out. Um, and there is something, it's, it's, it's something is clearly missing. So while I bagged on it for all these years for having the horns and the strings, they really do boost the sound and they really are needed on this. So I think I was a little too harsh on the song all these years. Uh, but man, John Densmore. Oh God. He is the star of this whole song. The song is just built around him. And I agree with you, Ray, the just, I was listening to it coming up and back to work all week and just, you know, I'm surprised my steering wheel's not broken from drumming along to this thing. <laughs> I, I, yeah, God, yeah, he, he is just, he is the man. I think he would, he was, they had played like an animal kit. He had like four drums, <laughs> <laughs> like four drums yeah, and a yeah. cymbal. Like, you know? one tom, a snare, bass drum, and a hi-hat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, animal. Like, yeah, floor tom, a Yeah, snare. yeah, touch me, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Just picture him breathing heavy when the song's over. <laughs> always come back to the Muppets, always. <laughs> but Robbie Krieger has, some, again, really cool lead work that gets buried under the kind of the, the strings. I put the bullshit they put over the top, but it is needed. Um, so I, I, I came around on, on this one. So it is a good song. I really do like it. But in terms of their entire catalog, it's not one of my favorite Doors songs. So this is the one everyone knows. The horns are back, plus strings to really make the tune kind of lush because the guitar riff is pretty basic but very recognizable. Ray also adds the similar riff from the Four Seasons' Come On, Marianne for a slight counterpoint on organ and harpsichord. Harvey Brooks is back on bass, and John Densmore, like we've been saying, he gets to stretch out a little bit more on this track. What I always liked about his playing is that even though he uses a lot of jazzy fills, it doesn't feel like what he's doing is too busy, even though he his playing is kind of busy. He makes it feel like it's not. Jim sings the love song lyrics with a bit of cynicism, though it's funny to hear Jim Morrison genuinely croon the chorus, I'm gonna love you. <laughs> it's not what you think of when you think of Jim Morrison. As the track heads to the finish, there's a jarring, honking saxophone solo played by Curtis Amy, rest in peace, that I'm not sure was necessary, but whatever, it doesn't hurt the track. Jim sings Stronger Than Dirt as the last line is a send-up of an Ajax cleaning product commercial, like the professor said. And he was mocking the other band members because they wanted to allow the car company Buick to use the Doors track Light My Fire in a commercial. And he said no. Okay, yeah, I like this song. Who doesn't? And it was the first single that reached number three on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The following track is Shaman's Blues, written by Jim Morrison. Another one like you There will never be another one You can do the things you do Oh, will you give another chance? Will you try a little try? Please stop and you remember We were together Ray, what do you say? 
three songs in to get a Morrison Penn song on a Doors album. Hmm. Weird. It's got a nice slinky and snake-like groove that every time I hear it, it makes me think that I just walked into some sort of dark lounge with a sunken floor as you step down and there's like purple shag carpet everywhere like it's some sort of swingers pad and I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> the the song meanders along though um with jim's nonsense lyrics i don't understand what it has to do with the shaman at all to me the other three doors really saved this song krieger's guitar and his brief solo and then manzarek's organ solo that's the doors especially how krieger joins in uh, to bring the song back densmore holds the song on track with the steady beat and his bebop jazz fills i really like that like I said, lyrically, this is pretty weak. Morrison seems like he's just kind of word painting between unrelated fragments and phrases. He also sounds drunk while he's recording this one. I agree. Um, yeah. You know, he's sweating. Look at him. Optical promise. He'll be dead and in hell before I'm born. Bridesmaids. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it's just an odd song. This one just seems like filler, which is odd to me that a door song, you know, the first one you hear from Morrison is a filler song, but that's what I think. Sam, what do you think? I love this song. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> it's a really cool blues rocker, and I, I like the I like the words. I like the way he says "try, oh, try." I love that shit, man. I like when he starts whistling. I thought that was a nice touch. I love yeah. this song. It's cool harpsichord and guitar solo back and forth, man. And I thought they were great lyrics. Just disagree with you, man. I, Feelings That's a little cool. hurt though, because I, I, <laughs> I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I, no, I, I know it's just it's, it's subjective, <laughs> subjective, but you know what I mean. It's uh, this is this is the Shock Doors album to me, like fifty one fifty. Yeah, fifty one fifty. Yeah, it was horrible. I had to say that for you. And I had to. <laughs> for me, it was load. For a lot of people, it was a black album. But yeah, when they Shock, it's like what the fuck. I, I yeah. get that, but yeah, this was these not are my good band. songs. Even I though agree. they were screwed up, and Robbie was, you know, taking some, uh, taking up some slack. I, you know, Robbie's awesome in this record, man. And uh, so is Densmore, for that matter. You know, Men's Eric is just doing what he does, but I think it's underrated. I really do. Shannon, what do you think? I'm in between the two of them. Um, I think it does have a very cool and bluesy, like, you know, type of riff going on. There is something about it, and for whatever reason, I cannot put my finger on it. There's something about the actual verse, the, the riff that's going on there that either reminds me of Hendrix or Zeppelin, and I cannot put my finger on the song. But there is a song that it resembles in my mind. Um, it's, it's more interesting, but it's still lacking something. And you can feel it in the energy. It's like he went from touch me to this. It's like, okay, touch me. We, we're brought back up to space. But we come back to this, and it's still it, it's, it's better than the first but it doesn't feel like the door still. The whistling in the middle is an interesting little touch. And I noted that too, Sam. But you know, what's so funny about like, in terms of Krieger's guitar playing is that it's kind of wonky in the middle. Cause you know, Manzarek is like playing like a madman all over this album. I mean, his, his keyboards are so strong everywhere. So when he, when he accompanies with the guitar, they're usually like right in sync, but there's a point in this song where it just feels like, oh man, this isn't so great, and it's not even in a good Zappa, like a Zappa way. That's my opinion. Yeah, it did have a little bit. Yeah, he's, it they're just not sounded Zappa. off. Yeah, <laughs> and it didn't feel quite like the Doors. But I did pick up the stuff that you're talking about in terms of that cool 
and, you know, serene feel that comes along with it. You know, whether or not it's about a shaman, I, I, I could, you know, who knows? Because, you know, Jim was all over the place lyrically. And I could appreciate that because he was a poet. That's ultimately what he was. And he wanted to be a filmmaker. So I get the artistry that's all blended together to put together a piece like this. He's just, he's Jim Morrison. Rock and Mike. Okay, I'm going to split the vote. I got Sam, I got your back on this one. I like <laughs> I like this one. Um, I actually, the first thing I put is, this is the doors for me. The, uh, ah. the, the orchestration and the keys are gone, and I'm happy about that. I love Robbie Krieger on this, that fuzzy lead work, uh, cool bass line, and I love how this band will pause as the song goes on, and then Krieger pauses while the band still plays underneath. Yeah. Manzarek, I put that's a cool Adams Family solo. But Robbie Krieger's guitar tone on this, so it is all over the Palm Desert rock scene from the 90s that spawned like Caius, Fu Manchu. Ultimately, they spawned Queens of the Stone Age, which came out of the ashes of Caius. So I really see Robbie Krieger's influence on that whole Palm Desert rock scene. And I hear it a lot in this song in particular. Again, Densmore is just great. He's got like this cool extra snap on the snare. And he has a great feel. He knows exactly when to pound and when to hold off. So for me, the album has taken an upturn for me. Well, I guess I'm the decider, right? (laughs) Finally, we get a track that sounds like The Doors with all that bullshit orchestrations. (laughs) The keyboards and Harvey Brooks' bass line are the main musical elements that carry the dark groove of the tune. And Robbie's guitar provides a sort of spidery commentary with the way Robbie finger picks his lines. It's almost a constant solo as opposed to a riff and its aces. John is playing in waltz time with the backbeat on the two and it sounds cool. There's also an undercurrent of Native American music in the drums that occasionally rises to the fore, which goes in line with the shaman in the song title, that doom, 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 doom. And it was well known that Jim was inspired by and fascinated with Native American culture. On this one, Jim, to me, definitely sounds more engaged. He's singing his own words, and I read that he wrote this after his girlfriend Pamela had run off to Paris with a new boyfriend after a fight with him. The lyrics kind of reflect the pain Jim's feeling with Pam's loss and he longs to have another chance with her. There'll never be another one like you. Now, later on, there's snippets of random things Jim said in the studio kind of thrown in on the end of the track. And that does sound awkward to me. The only solution. Isn't it amazing? I don't like that. And this technique would be used and expanded on later in the record. Sam, we got you. I dig this track, man. (laughs) I feel like we got the doors back. (laughs) The next track is Do It, written by Jim Morrison and Robbie Krieger. Professor, your thoughts. Okay, this one starts off with what I can think is like seven seconds of studio chatter, which sounds to me like they're trying to clap out and scat sing a rhythm, maybe. But uh, you got to love that mischievous laugh at the beginning, what Jim does. It reminds me of of, uh, Janis Joplin at the end of Mercedes Benz. Please, please listen to me, children. 
Wow. Parenting by the Doors and Jim Morrison. (laughs) 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 Once again, lyrically, the song is pretty weak, but it is one hell of a good jam. Manzarek, Krieger, and Densmore really lock in with that swirling groove, and then they really give each other some pretty nice space in this. Uh, On the surface, it appears to me that uh, Rothschild was pretty frustrated with them at this time, and I'm sure he thought Morrison's songwriting well had dried up. To me, it sounds like he told them, just get in there and jam on whatever fragment of an idea that you have. Probably where they got the song title from. Rothschild just saying, get in there and do it. (laughs) Come on, do it. (laughs) Um, Once again, Desmore is killing it on those resetting drum rolls, though. Mm. He is awesome in this. I like this song, but it's not really saying much else other than that. It's just a jam. Sam? Yeah, it is a jam. I dig it. Maybe a little more than the professor but when he the the background chatter when he goes whatever he's doing <laughs> i can't help but smile a little bit man it's like that's kind of cool even though it's it's stupid and silly but i like stupid and silly and then i like the aussie laugh what i would i've always called the aussie laugh because you know when i heard it you know i'd already heard ozzy and ozzy you know has it like he's maybe ozzy uh listen to the doors i don't know it starts kind of smooth, you know, and then there's a badass riff from Robbie for sure, you know. I mean, that's pretty cool little riff, and I, I like the taps in between the verses. Even. Um, we have I have a different point of view, but I, I love this song, man. What do you guys think, Shannon? Um, I think everybody has to comment on his weird kind of semi-maniacal type of laugh. It sounds like he's half-drugged in a haze or whatever. And it is interesting because I can see his face being like, you know what I mean? Um, I I do not care for the scat-like vocals. And it is a form of scat, and I get it. But it's not the kind of scat that I really appreciate. It sounds kind of sloppy and out of place. He just, again, this feels like filler material to me. That whole please, please, please. Listen to the children. You are the ones who will rule the world. It's it's great. So profound. It, well, you know what? <laughs> they're great lines, but it doesn't quite do it for me with the song. I do like the drums big time. I think Densmore totally lands it on this album over and over again. So I agree with that big time. I, I think it's interesting, but it doesn't blow me over the edge or anything like that. It, it's 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 good. It's it's okay. Mike. Uh, I agree. It's it's a good song. Um, Densmore, again, I agree. You know, those jazzy drums. For me, it's all about that riff that kicks in at the 48-second mark. It's got the slow start and the riff comes in. And that's really what this whole thing is built around right now is just that riff and Densmore's drums. The I like the break at the 110 mark. It's got a little – with the little clicks – but the please, please listen to the children. That gets so repetitive. Agreed. Uh, it's just, uh, what am I supposed to listen to? Like, are they asking for Kool-Aid? They want a sippy cup? Like, what Like, what am I listening to? The um, But there's no horns or strings. So I'm, it's, it's definitely better Strip than that. Strip down doors. Yeah, I get what you're yeah, saying Yeah, it's there. better than that yeah. first cluster that we heard off the album. Did I say I was glad the doors are back? Now I'm not so sure. There's no orchestration again, and that's good. And Harvey Brooks again is on bass, and that's good. But we get a lengthy intro section that just sounds like the instrument's noodling around and it goes nowhere. And then the main body of the song itself has a quicker tempo and it's trying to rock harder, but it sounds really half-baked to my ears. And Robbie's guitar tone is fucked up. 
It sounds like it's groaning almost. I don't like it at all. It's not his typical guitar tone. There aren't a lot of lyrics to this song, and they're pretty dopey. Please listen to the children. They're the ones that will rule the world. <sighs> okay, Jim, please. <laughs> Again, half-baked, hippy-dippy shit. The shining spot for me is John's drumming. I think we've all been saying that. He's doing the best he can with what he's got to work with, and I always dig the interesting patterns and feels he comes up with. But nope, this one does not get it for me. The following track is Easy Ride, written by Jim Morrison. It will be an easy ride, all right, and I know it will be easy ride, okay. The mask that you wore, my fingers would explore, costume of control, excitement soon Ray, do you like this song? No. <laughs> it's a two-minute, 40-second honky-tonk knee slapper played through a carnival merry-go-round organ. That's a great description. Okay. Let me, put, let, me, let, me, let me back up my statement. Let me back it up. I don't hate it. It's like musical candy corn. It's good, but it's forgettable. And if you get too much of it, your teeth are going to hurt. <laughs> um, I like, like you know, you and I read the lyrics, and I'm because I was I thought, oh, this song is just pure filler. And I read the lyrics, and then I'm like, okay, is this about a dominatrix? The mask that you wore, my fingers would explore, costume of control, excitement soon unfolds. Hey, y'all know that Jim was into some freaky stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's it sounds like it's a dominatrix that he asked to marry him, and they're going to have an easy ride through the years, which. To Morrison, in his sense of humor, it's kind of sneaky for him to throw that kind of dark subject into a background song because it's basically what this one is. No, okay. I started to like it even more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the song that you hear it, and then as soon as you're done, other than the, the you know, the first riff, that first couple seconds, you forget about it. So that's what this song is like to me. Sam? Um. Well... Keeping with the logic, if if we like songs about hookers, then, <laughs> then we must have to like this song too. And uh, I, I honestly think it's a great song. I love it's a cool like Ray Charles style to start, and then I get it. They're trying to do different things and stuff. You know, they had three trippy albums before, and they're doing different stuff. But <laughs> I like how I love how it slows down and, and and then picks back up right into the. the the lyric, you know, black polished on that part right there. I think that it slows down and it picks right back up. And I think that's great. I love that part. And um, I think it's the f- most fun song the Doors ever wrote. I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon. Um, so is the dominatrix into like almost country and gospel in equal parts? Because I, I mean, th- it is a funky tune. It is very upbeat. It's, it's almost country and, and gospel with, with Ray's keyboards and Robbie's twangy guitar, it's just interesting. There's that oompa, oompa, oompa with the drums and that percussion in the background. It's like, what the hell? Are, where are we? It did sound like a, a circus to me. Um, it couldn't have been an easy ride. That's the way that I, I view the song. Uh, again, I can appreciate it for the doors being, you know, is 
their ingenuity and their creativeness, but it's it doesn't feel like the doors to me still, not really. And maybe it's because I, I know the doors. I knew them in utero. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. I it's an okay tune. I like it. It's all right. Mike, did anybody else think of Elvis's version of CC Rider at the beginning of this? Oh, kind sure. of, yeah. 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 That's all. I, I instantly went to YouTube, and it was like Elvis in Vegas, and he's like, "See, CC Rider," and I was like, <laughs> yeah. and "I don't know why, but that—that's what I think of on my. That's what, really what I thought of on my first listen through. Um, but I don't hate the song as much as the professor. Is that lead line finger picked almost? It yes. just seems like it's just like finger picking along. That's how Robbie plays. Okay, so you, and then you've got the hand claps, and you got Morrison's vocals that are on the edge of cracking. One thing I really do like, I like how the lead line walks up with the keys, and then it kind of pauses, and the bass walks up, and they alternate. I do really like that. So for me, I like that, and it's a redeeming quality to the song for me. But I don't like how all the songs in this part of the album are way too short. They're, it's like half ideas that they're not flushing out. But what's here, I don't really mind. It's cotton candy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, more mediocrity. This is not my father's doors. No. The rhythm is peppy. The track sort of bounces along, courtesy of John and session bassist Doug Lubon, rest in peace, who worked with the doors in their prior two albums, Strange Days and Waiting for the Sun. Robbie returns to the guitar tone I like, and he plays some cool slide guitar that he's famous for, and Ray wheels out the carnival organ. But this track is lacking something, too. You can tell these songs were quickly worked up. The lyrics seem to be about sex. I like the dominatrix angle. And Jim getting past the mask the girl wears and unfolding the excitement. He can hear her smile. Uh, There's hand claps and the general upbeat flow of the music is okay. But that's the problem. This is just okay. I want to be blown away. Come on, fellas. Step it up. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Wild Child. Written by Jim Morrison. Wild child, full of grace, savior of the human race, your cruel face. Natural child. Ray, what do you say? Well, this song has got a pretty good hook that will stay with you forever. It's been doing that to me all week. That driving rhythm and that pumping organ notes. I just love that guitar riff. <sighs> I was pretty bad at poetry uh, and interpretation. I don't quite see how these lyrics have anything to do with much of anything. Uh, wild child, full of grace, savior of the human race, your cool face. Huh? Also, when I was 15 or 16, there was this jerk kid who would sing this song all the time. Really? Yeah, he thought he was the embodiment of Jim Morrison. And if I could go back and find him, I would definitely kick his ass. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He was an asshole. He probably still is. Loser. Uh, It's really hard for me to separate this song from the memory of that idiot. Um, Sometimes my memory can just be a curse. Your cool face. That repeating gets kind of old too and then he comes up with that do you remember when we were in africa and i'm like what <laughs> and i just want to go back and say jim do you remember when you made good recorded music 
Because <laughs> this ain't it. Sam, I love this one. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> it's fine. You can love it. Uh, I have I have a jerk bully that was. I the, think it's one of the Doors classic songs. Yeah, and fuck that guy for ruining the song for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I dig this one too. Uh, to think Robbie, is, you know, with the slide is funky and bluesy as hell, and I like uh, the words. Yeah, the words don't make any sense, but who the hell cares? It's, I like the, when the even uh, some of the lyrics is uh, like the hollow idol's eye or some. I don't know if I'm saying it right, man. I got a lot of the words wrong, by the way. Uh, I can't, I dig the lyrics because it doesn't make any sense, and uh, I think it's too short. I think the shoes should have jammed for another minute or so. Shannon, um, I, you know, it's again, the monologue in the desert, which initially, you know, makes you kind of want to yawn because he does it so often. But again, he was a poet and I can appreciate that. And he usually has something very profound to say, at least in his own mind and to many of his listeners and his followers. And that's great. I think it's it's bluesy. It's been done before. It's it's got those really cool guitar licks right there in, during the bridge. And I do appreciate that. Um, it doesn't blow me over the top. I mean, my skirt's not over my head or anything like that, but it's, it's, it's <laughs> decent. I know, right? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I always say that when something really impresses me, it blew my skirt up. You know, It's like a Marilyn Monroe moment, but, um, it doesn't do that for me necessarily, but I don't think it's awful either because I can appreciate the elements that are classic doors. So that's where I stand on that one. Mike. All right. So for me, I, it's just too short again for me. I really like how uh, Manzarek and Krieger play the melody together. They break off for various flourishes and they come back to the melody. Robbie Krieger again with some tasty slide work. Um, I really love Robbie Krieger on this record. That's the one real positive from this I'm taking. Um, I said Krieger's teasing me because it's too short. There's some cool stuff. But for me, the whole song, I love that opening riff. I think that opening riff is almost like proto-metal. Yeah, it's great. That, yeah. that, it's yeah, Sabbath-worthy, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And um, so that's what I'm hanging my hat on with this song. I really like that opening riff, and I think it. it I think that might have a more influence and add to uh, kind of the Krieger mystique. So, But it's a good song. So I guess i got to be the tiebreaker again, huh? <laughs> Sam, I got you, man. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Robbie plays a distinctive sliding bluesy riff, and Ray falls right in with the organ accompaniment. Doug Lubon again is our bassist, and he actually gets to explore the space just a touch in the solo section, and it sounds choice. And John, of course, doesn't play it straight. He's going to throw in some fills that liven up this mid-tempo number. Robbie slides away on the blues solo, and overall, this track gives us a bit of a preview of what's to come in the future for this band. Jim bellows out the lyrics, which are very obscure, and I read could be referencing anyone from Pamela Corson to Martin Luther King, who had been assassinated the year before in 1968. But anyways, I do find the words interesting, even though they don't make much sense. They kind of feel like Jim Morrison to me. With hunger at her heels, freedom in her eyes, she dances on her knees, pirate prince at her side, staring into the hollow idol's eyes. That's good shit, and I dig this track. The next track is Runnin' Blue, written by Robbie Krieger.
Professor, hit us. Poor Otis, dead and gone, left me here to sing this song. A musical nod to the recently passed away Otis Redding. This song, mm, the start of it is awesome. That guitar riff, the funky lick that Robbie throws in, the, the first verse, the yeah, back down, turn around slowly, try it again, remembering when it was easy, try it again, much too easy, remembering when. That's awesome. Densmore's going off, and then we're really going somewhere. And then the fiddle. And you're like, what? <laughs> and then Krieger's vocal parts, which I just learned was him singing. I always thought it was Morrison singing some. Hey, hey, Goofy. Hey, hey, I can't stand that. <laughs> what, what was he singing? <laughs> Whatever. I don't even know what the hell. Like, hey, hey, <laughs> it was just like singing some nasally something. I'm like, that can't be the guy's real voice because, you know, shit. He looks that way and he sounds that way. At least he plays good guitar. After Touch Me, the song probably held the most promise that really made something from a producer's viewpoint, something that could be made of it. But the song has so many different parts thrown in, and it just seems at war with itself. It's got some funky licks and then a hoedown fiddle. It's so misplaced that it, you only notice it in the cacophony of shit that they threw in this track. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, doesn't fly. Sam. Well... Uh... It's hard to argue with that. <laughs> um, it's not my least favorite song, but um, there's a couple of things about it that I like. Uh, the horns are a little much, but um, Robbie and Densmore, you know, are again are you know holding it down. Well, Densmore is uh, doing his damn job. It's not his fault. This is a shitty song, but uh, I like fiddle and mandolin. Sam Hunt's a mandolin player. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yes, of course. I love uh, mentalism. Yeah, they don't fit in in, in this. Uh, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, but maybe uh, maybe he was just stretching out a little too far here. <laughs> it's not my least favorite. I don't skip it. Shannon, do you skip it? I do. In fact, I'm going to use a line that you gave to me today. It's my official line. It's Shannon's horrendously irritating tune. Ew. There you go. <laughs> I just said it. Um, the acapella star about Otis Redding is very profound. <laughs> Interesting. But then you know what it does to me? It breaks into another version of Touch Me. And it, it just feels rearranged. It has all the horns and strings thrown back in there. And they just rearrange everything. But it sounds so similar to, in my, to my ear that it's just like in structure. That it's just like uh, irritating. And then you got that square dance shit thrown in <laughs> just for good measure. It's like, you know, you know, catch your, you know, round and round. It's like, I feel like I almost suddenly like want to have somebody on a, you know, maybe it was Zappa's bodyguard that was there. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> it, that's the way that I, I heard it in my head. It's like, Jesus, what the hell were they doing here? This is beyond film material. This is just like downright not good. So that is my stance on it. All right. Look at my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I'm glad we're all all in the same room because I'd get hit right now. This is one of my favorite out songs on the album. Oh my God. And I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm not kidding at all. I like the isolated vocal at the beginning. The horns are back, but they're jazzy. So I, I don't mind because they kind of go off on kind of like this little jazz kind of jam. 
Then they break back in with uh, Robbie Krieger doing his best Bob Dylan imitation on the chorus. <laughs> and then with Krieger singing, out of that comes they come with a few jazz lines with a great Krieger lick. Back to the Bob Dylan, and then they end with a fade out on a fiddle solo. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> I, I have no good reason as to why I like this song. I, I don't. But I really do. I really like this song. You need wow. holy water thrown on you. Man. <laughs> Not in this environment. <laughs> uh, 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 hall, right? You That's think this right. is better I than tell it. all the people? My goodness! I do. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So Jim introduces the track a cappella and borrows from a traditional blues song called "Poor Howard" that was made popular by Lead Belly. And Jim inserts Otis Redding's name into the lyrics as the Soul Giant died in late 1967. Oh, goody, the fucking horns are back. You know, I'm not anti-horns. Sometimes they can sonically take a good song and make it great. But on this album, it just feels forced. They're grafting these orchestral instruments onto a bed track played by the fucking Doors. And don't get me started on the solo by the brass section on this tune. It sounds horrendous in this particular context. I don't buy it. The Doors play gamely, but none of their contributions truly stand out, with these horns eating everything up. Not even Harvey Brooks' bass can make a dent. And then, holy fuck, nugget, this chorus. It sounds like a bluegrass country hoedown with Jimmy Buchanan playing his fiddle and Jesse McReynolds on mandolin. Again, I have to stress, I like those instruments, like you were saying, Sam. And if this came across with any authenticity or genuine feeling, I'd appreciate it more. But this is one of the worst choruses of the Doors' career. The lyrics seem to continue to reference Otis Redding, Got to Find the Dock of the Bay... But these are Robbie's words, and I don't know what he's trying to say. Not only that, but Robbie sings lead on the chorus, and we all find out why he didn't fight for more lead vocal time. It sounds like a tuneless karaoke geek took the mic from Jim. All right, look at my shoes! (laughs) This track is a terrible mess, and is easily... Aaron's stinky stinker. Wow. Wow. This turd was actually the fourth single, which reached number 64 on the Billboard Hot 100. The penultimate track is Wishful Sinful, written by Robbie Krieger. Prof, how about this one? Hey, this song peaked at number three <laughs> in Denmark. <laughs> at the Falcon. And I was positive this was going to be your ass, Aaron. <laughs> I was positive. This is some saccharine, romantic crooning that even my mother would think is too smarmy. Um, the less time spent on this one, the better. This is a skip. Every time. Sam, is this a skip for you? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Whoa. Too much orchestra, man. Uh, Was Lawrence Welk on? on (laughs) You're my man, Sam. You're my man. (laughs) He's like, we're going to start doing the fucking polka with an accordion. This is the doors, right? And uh, no, I I, I hate Robbie. He's doing his best on this song. But 
this is my what the fuck were you thinking track. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon. Um, it, it, you know what it sounded like to me initially? It was It was like performed in a cave. With, with effects, it's like you're looking in the Caribbean because it does have a bit of an islandy feel to it, ballady, dreamy. And I'm like looking down in this cave and I'm like, are you down there? <laughs> I mean, that's how it feels when I listen to it. The keyboards are pretty nice. Um, but again, the solo with, with Krieger, is, it's, it's got those wonky guitars going on again. It's like sometimes you just feel like you're questioning what the heck's going on. I would definitely not call this the worst, but it doesn't quite do it for me but i'll listen to it it's it's good mike so the strings just oh my god they, 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 i hate it the uh <laughs> the i mean i'm speechless the there is a on the i think it's the 50th anniversary again you can find a version of this without the strings and it's such a better song it oh my god if you would listen to the one without the strings without the strings it's a sparse tune there's a great bass line that stays high in the mix and Krieger gets in these subtle note bends that are cool as hell. And Densmore has almost breaks into almost like a military March beat, which is really cool to hear. They got a lot of stuff going on and they kill it with the strings. Um, I don't like the strings on this and it kills all the cool subtleties of the actual doors that are playing underneath it. Yeah. It's another mid tempo ballad type tune. Robbie plays clean arpeggios while John adds a light touch on the drums and we get the last appearance of Doug Lubon on bass on the record. Ray is buried in the mix on organ and here comes the orchestration again, this time with the emphasis on the strings, but also includes an English horn solo played by Champ Webb. Jim sounds positively bored on this, <laughs> like he might fall asleep any second. I read that he wasn't a big fan of this song and he croons it like a smacked out Sinatra. <laughs> the lyrics are Robbie trying to get into the subconscious mind using nature imagery like cooling waters covering everything, the sun shining beneath the sea, and hearing the wind cry as metaphors for love and sex. It's yet another track. I I don't despise it. It's just okay. It's blah. This was the second single that reached number 44 on the Billboard Hot 100. Go Denmark. Who the hell does an English horn solo? in a song. I mean, the English horn in terms of an orchestra is usually looked down as like, oh, you're playing the English mm. horn. The goddamn doors do. <laughs> you know what that says? In my mind, in my <laughs> mind is telling me that whoever picked the songs to uh, put out as singles didn't listen to the fucking album. This is dumb. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> what are you doing? And that brings us to the final track and the title track, The Soft Parade, written by Jim Morrison. Professor Permi, what do you say? Okay, this is Formulaic Doors and the album with an epic track. This one is a suite of some thinly threaded together time changes and themes. Starts off with the seminary school bit that when I, I first heard that on the Absolutely Live album, I didn't know it was actually part of a song. 
Morrison's disturbing religious, he likes to disturb the religious tenants to the 14-year-old Ray. That was pretty cool. 50-something teenager Ray says that it's more like all that you've been told to make you feel safe and secure is false. And the fact that it was recorded as a spoken word piece with the echo added is a nice stark touch. And that transitions into the sanctuary part, a strange and disturbing lullaby with a harpsichord-like keyboard plinking as the lyrics have a foreboding nature that ends in some Vincent Price rocking the pipe organ in a horror movie scene. It's, it's about that underlying knowing that we all try to ignore, the part that is weary and that questions about life, is that all there is? And that transitions into a funky psychedelic mashup about peppermint miniskirts, which I never got. (laughs) And about four ways to get unraveled, uh, sex and life's distractions to occupy your time, I guess. When that one transitions into a Leave it to Beaver suburban meandering shanty. (laughs) (laughs) A meandering shanty. Just as it sounds, some nonsense, mundane, paint-and-place-ass lyrics. And then the monk buys some lunch, and that walking gritty baseline takes over. And uh, this is the best part of the trip, and he's proud to be part of this number, which is just a really basic, cool jam. And then everything must be this way. All our lives we sweat and save, building for a shallow grave. Must be something else we say somehow to defend this place. That's what he's calling the soft parade, just the rat race that we're all in. And it's getting harder. This is the next transition. It's some Age of Aquarius call to change the status quo, or is it more? Is it about losing humanity through modernity? I have no idea. That's up to Jim Morrison to tell us, and he can't. We need something or something new. We need someone or something new, something else to get us through. This is kind of like the part where the party, where the people party while Rome burns, uh, where they all start kind of screaming in, as you got to meet me. Too late, baby. Slay a few animals at the crossroads. Too late. All in the yard. Blah, 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 blah. Brought to the close by the last resort of when all else fails, we can whip the horse's eyes and make them sleep and cry. As a 14-year-old, I really dislike this song. I have read many times that a lot of people love this and think this is one of the greatest door songs ever. And I understand that because I understand a little bit differently now. Although I get what they're trying to say. It's kind of clumsy. Uh, other acts have done similar songs and they've done them better. The ones that come to mind are uh, The Bittersweet Symphony of Life, The Stones' I Am Waiting, and The Camera Eye. Not so much, but it's a better it's a better tune anyway. But I like it more now than I did, but um, it's just an odd song. Sam, what do you think? Damn, Professor. Uh, you're killing me here, man. <laughs> I would love to agree with you on any anything, um, but <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> okay, it starts off with a position the Lord of Prayer, man. There was this kid named Brett Manley that used to get up on this fucking brick wall, and like while we were at lunch at John Carroll High School, John Carroll Catholic High School, and John, and and Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, I'm shouting you out. He used to get up on the damn wall and like say, "You cannot petition the Lord with prayer." And, Everybody would cheer, you know, it was like, it was awesome. Uh, a form of rebellion that had been done by this crazy asshole, you know, 20 years before, 25 years before, and uh, we loved it. And I think it's a, a, a cool piece of poetry, that first part. And then it uh, goes into a beautiful 
a little, you know, Spanish style guitar. Robbie Krieger has done this before, you know, and uh, it's got great words there. You know, can you find me soft asylum? I can't take it anymore. Manage at the door. Come on, man. That's undeniable. That's great. Then it takes a quick left turn into trippy pop, which I don't think fits, honestly, with the first part of it. I mean, just like, what are you doing? You're trying to put two things together that really don't fit. Um, I understand trying to do it and being ambitious, but, but you're not Frank Zappa. So it's pretty cool, though. Um, and then I like the parts where he says the monk, the monk bought lunch, and, and he goes, yeah, but a little. And I like that part, too. But then it goes into my favorite, one of my favorite Door songs. I mean, this part of this, you know, is like classic Doors. I can't think of many songs that are better than this one. On this part of the song, you know, when he goes, everything must be this way, and especially when he pushes his voice. Jim Morrison was always greater in a little, little higher register when he pushes a little bit. You know, he, he could squeeze out some emotion when he did that. I love those freaking lyrics. Yeah, it don't make that much sense, but when he goes, uh, shit like Cobra on my left and Leopard on my right, <laughs> that's also undeniable. And I don't know who's on bass, uh, but is Russ Conkle is obviously <laughs> on bass. <Vegas, right? laughs> Crazy. Yeah, he's the bass player off, earned his right? check, though. Jesus Christ. I mean, they're, yeah, they're great. You know? And when he goes, but it's getting harder, it's awesome. But then he, the next line is to describe sailors to the underfed. This makes no damn sense, man, but I think this is so fucking cool. And, uh, I love this song, and this is it's going. This song right here is going to give this uh, album a whole nother star. All right, Shannon, how about you? I think it ends on a fabulous note. I really, really dig this tune, and I like it right from the right, right out the gate. When I was back there in seminary school, it's yeah. like, oh man, he's back on the soapbox, and that's and that's cool. But he sounds more energized. It feels more like the Doors. I do like those haunting vocals in the first part with that harpsichord sounding keyboards, just like the professor had illuminated. Um, what it made me think of too also is horror. I thought The Exorcist right, right away. It was like, oh my god, it uh, sounds like The Exorcist. This is crazy. But then it. it breaks into that upbeat modern sound, and it made me think of a little bit of like Barry Manilow at the Coca the Copacabana. It has like this, like you know, funky type of sound to it, and I can I can totally hear some of that type of influence in, in Barry Manilow's work you, a little later. Do you hear disco? And, yes, yes, that's what I wrote. You know, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah I, I just do. It, it, that's how, what that's what it made me feel. But then it switches again into a Connie Francis bubblegum pop. <laughs> You know, type of sound, but but he's singing about catacombs and murder. I think that's that's incredible to put those two totally different types. You got lyrics that are on one hand, you've got this, you know, lipstick, bubblegum lipstick on the other, and it really does sound like Connie Francis to me. <laughs> and then it finally rolls in to the comfort zone of what I see as the doors. It kind of funny. Again, I always hear influences like we all do. I almost hear Steely Dan a bit later on down the road. I got this feeling of like Ricky Don't Lose That Number coming, hmm. you know, in terms of its rhythm, its solidarity, awesome percussion. They sound really in sync. And then I like the way that it ends with that trippy dual track of Morrison's vocals overlaying each other. And they're kind yeah. of going back and forth. They're almost they're dueling with each other to some degree. I think yeah. this is the doors. I think this is much better. 
it, it, I was I was very pleased because it didn't it didn't go well most of the album for me, but it does end well. Rock and Mike, I agree. I this is my favorite song on the record. Uh, while I understand the purpose of why they ended with this, um, I wouldn't have minded seeing them start with this. Like if you imagine you buy this album brand new and the first thing you hear is you cannot petition the Lord with prayer. Like <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, that was everybody's out. parents oh, would have oh, thrown this oh, one right out the front door. It probably would have changed the perception of this entire record if you you know You're right. if you had started out the gate with that. Um, I love that. That's the doors to me. That like what the hell is going on? You have the yeah. gothic harpsichord with like the flamenco style guitar. I did say disco when it first made when it makes that next transition. It really sounded disco-y to me with kind of a lounge feel. And all I thought of was Bill Murray. Star Wars. <laughs> um <laughs> the crazy kooky bar wars. I like how uh, Krieger plays the melody in that part. Then for me it became a child's nursery rhyme with light percussion and a walking bass line. And then at the 307 mark, this is the best part of the trip. And it is. And the, from Probably here really on like out, it. it's it's just fantastic. I love every part of that. Hammond organ. You get Morrison and Krieger singing together. Um, and then, of course, and it's got bongos. So how can you go wrong with bongos? <laughs> I mean, Matthew McConaughey can't go wrong with bongos. <laughs> That's right. The Doors can't go wrong <laughs> with bongos. The can't yeah. go wrong with bongos. Absolutely. Yeah, but it, it is my favorite one on the, favorite one on the album. All right. Well, I hate to rain on everybody's soft parade, but oh, so we get. I, I'm going to do kind of what everybody else did. I'm going to give my own thoughts on each section of this track. Jim's booming voice tells us that you can't petition the Lord with prayer, which I agree with that sentiment. Then we hear acoustic guitar and harpsichord delicately playing while Jim croons over the top about finding a place to hide. It's thought that that part could be about his recent arrests. Then it turns into this jazzy disco section with warbling keyboards and the guitar and bass following along with the keys. Plus, Robbie gets a quick solo in, and now Jim's pulling in imagery like peppermint miniskirts, chocolate candy, a girl named Sandy, and a bandit up in the hills. Next, the song becomes sonically almost like a children's song with raised keys daintily tinkling while the bass plays a lighter, fluffier line, and John is brushing on the drums. The lyrics detail catacombs, nursery bones, carrying babies to the river, and then the monk bought lunch. I have no clue what the fuck Jim's singing about. (laughs) Up to this point, this track blows. It makes no sense to me sonically or narratively, and I'm wondering what the fuck is going on. Then it settles into a Doors groove. The repeated bass line from Harvey Brooks is a standout, and along with John's thumping drums, as well as Rhino and Dino's congas, I finally dig where this track is headed rhythmically. Both Ray and Robbie play in service to the rhythm, and musically the song is rock solid now. Jim's vocals are multi-tracked, and I love the melody with great Morrison imagery like the soft parade has now begun, listen to the engines hum, people out to have some fun, a cobra on my left, leopard on my right, the deer woman in a silk dress, girls with beads around their necks, kiss the hunter of the green vest, who has wrestled before with lions in the night. Still don't know what he's talking about, but I love this kind of shit that Jim does. It's awesome. I read that the lyrics were inspired by William Blake, T.S. Eliot's poems, Ash Wednesday, and Jack Kerouac's novel, Dr. Sachs, but I've never read any of those, so I can't confirm that. 
Then as the track winds down, we hear what sounds like a bunch of Jim vocals that have been recorded during the album sessions and sounds jumbled and shitty, culminating when, with all else fails, we can whip the horse's eyes and make them sleep and cry. What? Ugh. Apparently, this song was lyrically constructed by producer Paul Rothschild, who organized pieces of Jim's poetry to align rhythmically and conceptually with the music, and the whole thing sounds like Rothschild's pet production project. Of all of The Doors' long, epic tracks, this is the worst by a mile. It's a disjointed, confusing mess that sounds like a prog rock vaginal blood fart. <laughs> oh, my God. Yo! <laughs> it it ain't when the music's blood? over. That's for damn sure, prof. Now that the track-by-track track is finished, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0-5 to five system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which sucks even if you petition the Lord with prayer. <laughs> Professor Permi, what are your final thoughts on the Soft Parade? Well, this is a transitional album, if there ever was one. Five of the nine songs were written by or heavily relied upon by Robbie Krieger. Okay, Wow. Two were co-writes, but it seems Krieger played a major role in those two, more so than Morrison. Undoubtedly, this album is very important to the band's growth. Not so much to the listener, but to the band itself. I get the sense that the other three or two really came into their own on this album, being Krieger and Densmore. I think they gained a new level of confidence in themselves. The outtakes and the extras that have been included in the reissues of this album demonstrate my point. Hearing them, I could see why they had felt that they could continue as a band even after Jim's death. The other sense I get is that they were young. And they, they, he, he died at 27, so that was like two years before he died. He died in 71 or 70. 71, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so he's like, he's like 25. Too, right? And the other guys are young. I mean, I think Manzarek was the oldest one there. Yeah. So there, I think that they were still really heavily influenced by Rothschild and his direction. And that caused them to be artificial. That uh, wisdom of being yourself as an artist hadn't come yet. And they really tried too hard in this one. And it shows, painfully so. It's a valuable lesson to, to thine own self be true. And they just really didn't pull it off on this one. It's not a bad thing. It's just a misstep that other musicians and acts have taken when their producers, managers, or record companies think it's over, but they can still squeeze a few more bucks out of them before it all comes crashing down. That's really the sense I get with this one. And it brings me back to, like, the Stones' Satanic Majesty's Request, uh, the, the Black Crows' By Your Side, or the fact that they even released the Beatles' Let It Be at all. By the next album, they really return to their, their gut. Morrison Hotel and L.A. Woman, they really finish strong. Yeah. They'd grown enough and were secure enough to carry on even without their wizard producer, Rothschild. But this one, I mean, I agree with you on the soft parade, the song, that the final two parts really make it. But the other parts in front just really are shit. <laughs> so, but I give this one like two. Damn. Point five. This, this is what? really because this is just this is a real throwdown for the doors for me. This is not them. The first three albums were so good. And this one just doesn't, this just doesn't compare. Sorry. Super listener, Sam. Man, uh, listening to this album again after uh, uh, hearing it when I was younger and, uh, and when I was a teenager getting into it, I, I think it holds up to me. I have a different opinion from uh, most of you guys. I think it's an underrated album. The last five minutes of uh, Soft Parade is some of the best doors that there are and it gives it a whole nother star if it wasn't for that song 
the end of that song, I would probably give it a three, but I'm going to give it a four. And I really like this album, man. And I, I respect uh, what they were trying to do, man. They were fucking tired. You know, reading uh, the notes and shit this week uh, has given me a little bit of a different perspective, too. They were doing the best they could, man, and it's not, it's not bad. It's not bad, man. I think their next two albums, I think, it was, uh, and also this album was necessary, I think, to uh, allow them to, you know, uh, make the next two albums, you know. I agree. I know yeah. it's not, is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it's sterile and I like the taste. <laughs> Sam, I'm really glad you have a different opinion on this, and I'm glad you expressed it. Me too. Shannon. Um, you know, I, I, I'm highly disappointed with this album. Um, I do I, – I would like to be as kind as, you know, the professor and Sam in terms of saying, like, this was necessary for their growth. But to me, it does. It just sounds unengaged, uninteresting, and they seemed, like, burnt out. That's the best word. So if you want to, you know, call that being tired, that's what I feel like. It sounds like burned out. In, in many, many respects, personally, professionally, whatever. However, it's still the doors. <laughs> I love the doors yeah, man, so much. Yeah, still the doors. <laughs> and I do hear their elements still shining through, especially in a couple of different songs that I, I really do like. I do. Um, so I give them a three and a half on this one because I know that their really good shit is still coming too. So, and it was before, but it's, there's more to come. I think this is almost like pandering. It's that's where I got to stand with it. It's it's not their best work. Rock and Mike. So as I said, I've only had about a week with it, listening to it all the way through. I was really unfamiliar with it coming through, but I have listened to a lot of Doors, um, and there are albums later in their career that I like much better than this. I will give it a three and a half. There are a lot of elements to it that I like. They don't always work cohesively, but Densmore's drums, Krieger's lead work. Uh, if it wasn't for the anniversary editions where I did hear kind of the all the extra bullshit removed of the strings and horns, you can hear that there's still a band under there. And if I didn't have those examples, it would probably be lower. But three and a half is where I'm going to stand because I, I, I think they did have the elements there to still be themselves. I'm kind of with Sam and the professor. I suppose the Doors had to make a record like this. The musical climate at the time was one of sonic experimentation, and many major groups wanted to add different sonic palettes to their music and try to make a true artistic statement. But the Doors, at this point in their career, were not equipped to go in a bold new direction. They were exhausted from constant album tour cycles, had run out of their old material to draw from, and Jim Morrison was on a downward spiral of self-destruction. Jim was becoming disenfranchised with being a pop star sex symbol and pop culture in general, and he began to heavily drink alcohol as he distanced himself from the doors to focus on poetry and filmmaking. He was also dealing with anxiety and felt he was on the brink of a nervous breakdown, and he had to be convinced by Ray Manzarek to stay in the doors at least until the recording of the new album was finished. Since the band came into the studio with very little material to work with, Producer Paul Rothschild took control of the sessions and made the band do take after take of each song, much to the band's chagrin, and Jim, who didn't want to be there to begin with, had no real passion for the project and gave many uninspired performances. To usher in a new creative sound, Rothschild hired Paul Harris to arrange string and orchestral parts for the Los Angeles Philharmonic and local jazz horn players. 
Ray and John Densmore, who both had jazz backgrounds, liked the idea. Jim and Robbie Krieger were not so sure. When the Soft Parade was released, it divided critics and fans who were surprised at the sonic embellishments found on some of the tracks. And over the years, it has come to be regarded as the worst Doors album of the Jim Morrison era. And I totally agree with that. I don't hate this album. There are parts of it I like. But overall, there's a serious lack of quality material on this record that I'm not used to hearing from the Doors. It's easy to blame the horns and strings, but it's more than that. I've heard the tracks without the orchestrations, and I've got to say it's nowhere near the improvement I thought it would be. When I listen to this album, I hear a tired band struggling with these tracks. Only John Densmore is his usual stellar self, in my opinion, and it's telling that in many of these songs, the most memorable parts of them are the bass lines that were played by session musicians. Robbie and Ray take a back seat on many songs, and it's disconcerting. I give the Soft Parade a two and a half. It kills me to say that I love this band so much. Of all the Morrison Doors records, this is the one I go back to the least by far. Guess my dad was right. Now we'd like to thank our two longtime guest co-pilots who helped us open the doors again. Professor Ray Permy, thanks for dropping the knowledge as always. Thanks. I didn't mean to make anybody mad. <laughs> you didn't, man. This is fun. Well, I loved this Absolutely. episode. This was no, awesome. It's always fun when there's some something to talk about. And super listener Sam George, you rock, my friend. Always. You guys rock, man. I, I, I really appreciate uh, letting me be on with you guys uh, this three weeks in a row. Sorry for the listeners, but uh, <laughs> appreciate to catch up. <laughs> catch up with ray uh the professor uh is a, a, a true friend uh we check up uh, on each other man when these storms come through man he's like he'll he'll send me a text hey you okay the storms come through you all right and uh, i appreciate that man so you have a community going on here uh aaron and uh shannon mike crazy we love you guys man thank you thank you love you too and that's going to do it for this episode you can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the R4 Summit branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us. And we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Summit, I'm Aaron. I'm Shannon. And I'm Mike. Later. Bye. Please, please listen to the children. Button. <laughs> yeah, please. See your dog? No, it's not the dog.
It's okay. Oh. Okay. Sorry, guys. Man. All right, go ahead, Chad. Hang, hang on just a second. Give me 10 more oh. seconds. I'm sorry, Aaron. It's all right. Shit, I might have to have you start from the beginning because I don't know where, where things are going to It's okay. That's the thing about this. I can edit it. Yeah. I'll fix it in the mix. Yeah, man, but I'm just like, you probably are tired of doing that shit, aren't you? Yeah. I'm yeah, sick of this some, shit. Some <laughs> Sam. Ha, 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 ha. 